Scott Aukerman first tasted success as a writer on the hit HBO sketch comedy, Mr. Show. He thought he had it made. Suddenly, show business closed its doors to me, you know, even though I thought I was the Hollywood golden boy, you know, Emmy nominated for my first job. Worked on one of the most seminal sketch shows of all time. It took him nearly a decade to work his way back up and become a star. He's the face of IFC's comedy Bang Bang and behind the camera on Funnier Dies Between Two Ferns starring Zach Galifianakis. It's a faux public access style show that became so influential it featured both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Mrs. Clinton. We should stay in touch. What's the best way to reach you? Email? This is Showrunners. I'm Nicholas Carlson, the editor-in-chief of Insider. A showrunner does lots of things, from directing to writing to finding the perfect plants for the set design. The showrunner ultimately controls every facet of a TV show, which is why we created Showrunners, the podcast that talks to the people making the shows we love. On this episode of Showrunners, we talk with Scott Ackerman about struggling in show business and what it was really like to get President Obama to sit down with Zach. We had put it out there that we wanted to do Barack Obama. We thought it was a really stupid, funny idea. Like, why would he ever do our show? (laughs) And so for about six years, we were told here and there, like, oh, he's interested now. At one point during his re-election campaign, we were told, this is when it's happening. He's definitely interested. And you would always hear that. That was the really frustrating part is the person was really interested. Yeah. Never the case. So we heard he was going to do it for re-election. And then we heard, oh, he decided to do a Reddit AMA instead. (laughs) Like, I don't know how those are equitable. (laughs) Digital. Um, They're all digital. Yeah, well, I mean, he was going to do one... Thing that no one thought a president would, you know, yeah. was like beneath the dignity of the office. And that was the thing he yeah. chose to do instead. Yeah, he can't like... do both. So right before it happened, we got another one of those calls that said, hey, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen right now. He really wants to do it. And we had been burned so many times by not only him, but by everyone. Zach and I were like, yeah, 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 sure. Okay, whatever. And so we got everything together. And then, of course, a couple of days before, it was like, hey, this is canceled. <laughs> um, he's no longer going to be in Palm Springs. I really maybe. thought it was going to happen this time. Yeah, that wasn't it. But they said, he really wants it to happen, so what are you doing the following week? Yeah. And I was in the middle of comedy Bang Bang. I was shooting five or six days a week on that. You're like, our jobs. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know, I know that you guys say you're serious about this, but I have one day that week that I can do it. So I said, can you make it on the Monday? Is that possible? Fully expecting them to say, no, it has to be whenever the president wants it to happen or else it's not going to happen. They came back and said, Monday's great. (laughs) And so we said, okay, we got to take it seriously. And so we wrote up what we were going to do, got the plan put into place, got tickets out to Washington, D.C. And every time I would see Zach, he'd go, you realize this is not happening. (laughs) We went to the White House. They started setting everything up and they put us into the map room. Even then, Zach's like, this is not going to happen. At some point, something is going to happen with the country, some emergency, and we're going to get word that he's not going to come in. I believe he was supposed to come in at 5 p.m. or so. And we kept hearing the president is five minutes away. And then suddenly at 5.45, he just walked in the room (laughs) and... And we were supposed to do it. And it was really weird for me because I was directing. If I don't know a person, I get nervous really with anything, you know, like even this, I, you know, I, I've never met you. So I'm a little like, I don't know how this is going to go. 
It's going great. Doing fine. Oh God, thank you. <laughs> but, um, you know, I should have been nervous, but I had so much pressure on me that all I could think about was making the thing and, yeah. ma- and making sure it was good. And by the way, the other thing that the president's handlers had told me, they said, he's a one and done guy. He wants to do one take hmm. and he won't do a second take of anything. And I said, oh, okay, well, what if we need to do a second take? Cause <laughs> you know, when we do between two ferns, we're improvising and yeah. we're like doing them over and over and over. I said, what if we need to do a second take? And they said, why would he need to do a second take? <laughs> I said, all right, fine. <laughs> I don't know. I said, am I allowed to talk to him? <laughs> and, oh, that was the other thing. I said, am I allowed to talk to him? They said, of course, you're the director, but what would you need to talk to him about? <laughs> <laughs> but what would you need to yeah. talk to him? So I had a lot of pressure of like, God, we got to deliver. This is the most important one we've ever done. So we start doing it. And it's okay. Mm. I didn't think it was that great. Yeah. And in my head, I'm thinking like, man, if he really only does one take of this, I guess I could cut this. Like in my head, I'm editing already. I'm like, I could cut this part, shift this over here. And so in the middle of the first take, someone comes over to me and says, he has 10 minutes left. (laughs) We've done five minutes. And I'm freaking out. And I'm like, okay, okay, you can do this. And so... All nervousness goes away yeah. at that point, and I'm just in pure, like, how do we execute wow. mode? The take ends. The president turns right to me and says, well, how'd we do? And I don't know. I just purely was in, like, get this done mode. I said, Mr. President, I thought the back half was so funny and great, and I would love to redo the first half with that kind of feeling, but I'm told you're out of time. And he said, let's do it again. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so we did another take. He like instinctively actually stopped yeah. at the point where it had gotten good. Like he even knew where it had gotten good. Yeah. And he was like, that's it, right? So how does this work? Do you send uh, Ambassador Rodman to North Korea on your behalf? I had read somewhere that you'd be sending Hulk Hogan to Syria. Or is that more of a, a job for Tanya Harding? Exactly. He's, he's not our ambassador. What should we do about North Ikea? while we move on <laughs> and it purely was me as a creator like trying to figure it out in the moment you got to use the alive mr president i bet you know right yes <laughs> i really wanted to do the, like the west wing thing where i'm like mr obama and then he says that's mr president <laughs> or his chief of staff steps in and right. says you know excuse <laughs> yeah. me that's great and then what about hillary the hillary one we were told that she herself really wanted to do this. Hmm. And we had heard that before, but... I was going to say, sounds familiar. Sounds How familiar. How do you tell the difference? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I think in this case, it really was yeah. the, the truth because I kept looking for evidence that she didn't know what it was. But yeah. at that point, we had done one with Barack Obama right. and it had, by a lot of people's accounts, saved Obamacare yeah. uh, registrations. Okay, let's get this out of the way. What did you come here to plug? Well, first of all, uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, I wouldn't be with you here today if I didn't have something to plug. Have you heard of the Affordable Care Act? So I think that she knew what it was, and it was her suggestion of, hey, you know, this would be a really cool thing to do for the campaign. So that one was a little bit easier, definitely in one respect. When it's the sitting president, as cool as everyone was, and everyone who worked with him was really cool. The speechwriters that we worked with were fighting for jokes to stay in. Hmm. Um, Zach even was afraid to do some jokes. Yeah. And the speechwriters were like, no, 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 he knows about it. It's cool. It, it, like, go ahead and do it. But even with that, as cool as they were, 
it had to be way more scripted than we usually like to do them. We yeah. usually like to improvise way more with them. At a certain point, I kept fighting for that. And at a certain point, they said, dude, it's not going to happen. <laughs> like, he needs to know everything that's going to happen before before it happens. He's the sitting president of the United States. Yeah. So with Hillary, though, they actually kept pushing for, hey, let's script this like the Obama one. And both Zach and I were very insistent that we wanted it to be improvised. Yeah. Anytime I had really seen not only her, but a lot of politicians do comedy, they're not good with scripted comedy. Mm -hmm. It comes off very canned and very yeah. fake to me. So I didn't want the video to seem like a total scripted, just we're feeding her lines kind yeah. of thing, which is anytime you see like, a politician doing the top 10 list or, sure. or something on Fallon. It just seems very fake to yeah. me. And you can sense all of the hurdles that the joke writers had to get through to make the person say whatever they're going to say, you yeah. know, like you can see the strings. So they're reading a cue card or something. Yeah. You know, or you can see the process by which the politicians handlers have made them alter jokes. Like you can just hear it in the yeah. delivery, you know? So, we were very insistent, like, no, we want it to be improvised. We'll feed her a couple of lines, sure, but we want this to be a real uh, improvised thing. And to their credit, they let it happen. And so we filmed for an hour with her. And um, this is while she has walking pneumonia, by the way. Wow. It was revealed, I think, the next day that she had pneumonia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this was at the end of the day. This is at like mm -hmm. 6 p.m. after she had been doing... Did a, you cause her to faint? Was that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so, although she did go from that between two ferns taping and did the whole deplorables comment oh, that good. night. Oh, good. <laughs> she went well done. from Thank it you. to, yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether she had been thinking about Zach when she was <laughs> thinking about deplorable people. Thank you very much, Mrs. Clinton, for being here. Critics have questioned some of your decision-making recently, and by you doing this show, I hope it finally lays that to rest. Oh, I think it, it absolutely proves their case, don't you? But... To her credit, we did an, an hour with her, and we did maybe 10 minutes of pre-planned bits mm. and 50 minutes of just imp improvised stuff. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. And it saved that piece to me because uh, you can tell she's improvising, she's having fun, yeah. she, she's in the moment. Yeah. She's not just reading cue cards or anything like that. And so that one was a lot of fun, I thought. And she was great to work with and really interesting. And the conversations that she and Zach were having uh, when we were setting something up were very interesting. Um, so you probably thought you were interviewing the next president. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was definitely something that was up in the air. We had heard at the time it helped her turn a corner into, hey, we like her again. Yeah. Um, she always had this thing where she people said, show more of you. It's just always struck me like, why can't politicians just be themselves unguarded in a way. Even at the uh, Democratic convention, I thought that they did a piece on Hillary Clinton that was fascinating, yeah. that just showed her at home just kind of talking, you know? I think the analogy is network TV versus cable TV. Yeah. Or, you know. for, for all the horrible that's happened with Trump. He's not, anyway. <laughs> he's, it's the unvarnished him. Yeah. I mean, Barack Obama is just a, an amazing orator. Yeah and an amazing speaker, and he has the ability to seem authentic when he's saying things that have been vetted. Yeah. Not everyone has that, and politicians generally are really bad speakers. Yeah. They're really poor communicators, generally. So it's sad that Trump was the one who had to benefit from, who gives a shit what I say, I'm just gonna be me. People respond to that, I think, more than someone who's gone through 
the process where every word that they say has been over-examined. Yep. And so tell us what Comedy Bang Bang is. Okay, so Comedy Bang Bang was a sort of faux or fake talk show that was on the network IFC. The general conceit of the show is that I would have real celebrities on, like John Hamm, Elizabeth Banks, Aziz Ansari, and then I would also have comedians playing fake characters as well on the couch, and I would interview both of them as if they were both real people. Paul, you misunderstand. I wanted to have you on the show to talk about whatever projects you have going on. You have to be plugging something. Nope, don't have any projects to plug. I I booked it thinking I had something, and I... uh, Are you gonna cry? It felt, I've been crying all day, okay? And the interesting part of it to me was the interaction between the celebrity guest and the fake guest treated just as equally. And mixed along with that, every episode kind of has a storyline of stuff happening to me and to my guests. And there were also sketches. I'm a time cop. Yeah, we know. Why does everyone keep doing this? I'm from the future. And it's sort of an adaptation of my podcast called Comedy Bang Bang as well. The way the podcast is structured is exactly the same, where I talk to uh, celebrities and then I also talk to fake people. It's an improvised podcast and I've done 500 episodes of that, as well as about 100 live episodes. That is a lot longer. It's about an hour and a half uh, for the podcast. And so we tried to distill it down into a half-hour version. And you built a whole... Po- I mean, we're in the offices of something called Earwolf. Earwolf, yes. Yeah. Mid-roll Earwolf, yeah. What, what came right. first? This or the podcast? The podcast came first. The podcast has been going for eight and a half years now. And I believe Midroll Earwolf has been around for about seven So I was a sort of frustrated film and TV writer and producer eight years ago. In my spare time, I started doing what first started out as a radio show on uh, a local radio station, Indy 1031. And we decided to podcast the first one after some urging by some fans who listened to it. And actually, the first one, I didn't even record it. A fan recorded it and sent it to me. Um, and was like, hey, maybe you should podcast this. And so <laughs> I put it up and pretty quickly figured out that more people listened to podcasts, even in the limited scope at the time, than listened to something live while it was happening on an internet radio station. I was able, when I first started, to get about 2,000 listeners a week, which at the time was like, whoa, especially since I was doing a weekly show for 150 people at the UCB. I thought 2,000 people worldwide was pretty good. Right. So I did that for a year at the radio station and then about a year into it a guy named Jeff Ulrich introduced himself and said you know if we were really ambitious we Mm. would start like a podcast network with a bunch of your friends having shows and that really appealed to me that was the thing that stuck out and I said yeah that's a great idea so that was the genesis of what became Earwolf was just both of us starting this network with me going out to a bunch of my comedian friends and asking them if they wanted to do podcasts. And at the time, eight years or seven and a half years ago, no one really had any idea it would explode the way it has. Tech media entrepreneur over here as well. Not really any longer, (laughs) but I used to be. So you mentioned like 15 years being unhappy with what you were doing. And so obviously it worked out in the end, but how or why did you not quit? When I first got into comedy and I worked on Mr. Show... I 
assumed that I had made it and that was it and that everything was going to be easy from then on because I looked at the people in Monty Python and I was thinking, well, yeah, they have it all. They probably didn't feel that way themselves. And I'm sure that they had constant rejection for projects that they were doing, but I saw them and thought they can do whatever they want, whenever they want. It took three years for me to actually get hired to work (laughs) on the show, but it was such a kind of immediate success. And then I did that show. It was my first show business job. I got an Emmy nomination. And then we went on to do the Mr. Show movie. And up to that point, it was kind of like everything had worked out for me. (laughs) You know, I had never been disappointed by the entertainment industry. I'd never been told no. And then pretty quickly in around like 2000, that's where I started hitting the wall of the entertainment industry where the Mr. Show movie kind of imploded and didn't come out the way we wanted it to. A script that I thought was getting made, the Tenacious D movie that I co-wrote, ended up not happening. This other script that I had written before I got on Mr. Show on spec, uh, which uh, was going to get made with Rain Wilson as the star, suddenly got blocked by Brad Gray at Paramount. And so in succession, suddenly show business closed its doors to me, you know, even though I thought I was the Hollywood golden boy, you know, Emmy nominated for my first job, worked on one of the most seminal sketch shows of all time. What I found out was that the sort of heat from Mr. Show lasted maybe five years where it would get me in the door, have meetings where people were excited to talk to me about what I was going to do next. And then that just tapered off. I got to the point, in fact, where I would write something and kind of have the expectation it wasn't going to happen at that point. You know, it it totally flipped from my early days where I expected everything to just go well for me. And it was a surprise when someone said, no, we're not going to make this to being very surprised when something actually happened for me. You know, I think the next thing that maybe got people excited to work with me was maybe the Between Two Ferns show that I co-created and that lasted for a while you know and then comedy bang bang but I'm sure that you know in a few years no one will be that interested in what I've done and I'll have had to have had a recent success gotta keep swimming so let's go back to uh, Mr. Show and Bob Odenkirk and David Cross what did you learn about writing from them and show making those guys were really good about you would pitch something and they would distill it down to what your funny thing was and your execution of it usually was totally off, you know? <laughs> um, and they were really good at saying, eh, I'm, I'm not interested in the detail of it. I'm interested in what you're trying to say. And then they took so much time to talk about the idea and figure out the best execution of it. I had never experienced anything like that. I just figured when you were a sketch writer, you thought of a funny idea, you went into your room, you wrote it, and then you showed it to them and they said yes or no. (laughs) And I think it's due maybe to Bob's experience on Saturday Night Live writing, where pieces tend to, from what I understand, get thrown away if it doesn't work the first time or if it gets to dress and it doesn't get on the air, they'll just throw it away and you can never pitch it again. And he would get very frustrated with that. He'd go, no, this is a funny idea. Why throw it away? Like, even if the first draft doesn't work, this is a funny thing. He would get very frustrated with that. So they would spend a lot of time on something, trying to figure out the best way to do it. Sometimes you would come in with a funny idea and he would 
say, yeah, it's funny, but what are you trying to say with it? Hmm. I never thought about the responsibility you have in putting forth ideas ever. Bob was very much about like, we have a responsibility, especially if you're dealing with what can be considered edgy or envelope pushing comedy to stand behind our ideas and why we're doing it and hmm. what we're trying to say about society. What was the worldview? What is the worldview? When we were doing the show, it was the 90s, and there was definitely a cultural shift, I think, that was happening with young people. The season that I worked on, we were in the middle of the Bill Clinton impeachment, and you know, we would talk about it until someone said something that someone realized was a funny thing. I remember there's one sketch in particular, I don't think it's the most genius Mr. Show sketch, so I'm not saying this was the best sketch of all time, mm -hmm. but we were talking about the Bill Clinton impeachment and I was remarking how stupid it was that the whole country seemed to be hanging in the balance for this bodily function that <laughs> happened. I was like, it's almost as if the president farted and denied he did it and blamed it on someone else. And then everyone got really upset about it and they said, okay, that's the sketch. Despite the president's quick and adamant denial, the thought has captured the outrage and imagination of an entire nation. And so it turned into a sketch about the president farting and blaming it, you know, and it, and it went all the way up to the highest level, you know. That's great. So tell us what you're working on now. What's next for So you know, I know you got a couple projects out. Right. So I, I did Comedy Bang Bang. I did 110 episodes of that. But at a certain point in the middle of that, I realized that I actually was interested in starting a production company. So in the last year of Comedy Bang Bang, I started the production company, or the last couple of years, I started the production company. My coworker, Dave Jargowski, and I were pretty much actively developing pitches for networks. And I think in our first year, we developed 20 pitches mm -hmm. and we sold 13 of them, wow. I think, you know, um, to all sorts of networks. Out of all of that, the ones that have gotten on the air have been uh, bajillion dollar properties for CISO, which we've done 36 episodes wow. of, I believe. Uh, Take My Wife for CISO, uh, which we've done 14 episodes at this point, I believe. Um, Flulanthropy, which was a pilot for CISO. One of our shows that was developed at HBO, uh, HBO turned it down, but it ended up selling to Sky Network in England. That's called Sick Note. That'll be on the air, I think, in the fall. And hopefully it'll come out to the States at some point, too. And I feel like they made 16 episodes of that. So those were the things that actually yeah. have been on the air out of all of the things that we've developed. So for a lot of people, it's hard and scary and intimidating. But I mean, you just talked about 40 ideas. How do you turn... Well, there are other people's ideas, <laughs> so it's easier. <laughs> no, honestly, um, yeah. I'm, I'm not incredible at coming up with my own ideas. Mm -hmm. I think that was one thing that really hindered me as a film writer yeah. was I was, and still am way better at someone else has a script that needs work. Let me do my draft or someone else has an idea nowadays for a television show. Let me tell you what I think of it and let's shape it together, you know, with me as a producer on it, giving you my experience of how television works sitting around and coming up with ideas is not my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. I would much rather help someone else's idea come to fruition. 
Well, listen, I could take all day talking about this and, and your career, but we have to stop. So. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for doing this. I really yeah, my pleasure. It. Yeah. yeah thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Showrunners. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Acast and iTunes and leave us a review. It really helps. 